Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I am Dean Detloff, your co-host. And I'm Matt Bernico, your other co-host. And we're back once again with the podcast. Uh, it's been a wild week, but we're excited to talk about uh, this particular theme. Somehow we've never talked about this, which I find kind of amazing. Uh, out of all the things we've talked about on this show <laughs> for several years now, we've never gotten to the theme of Jubilee specifically, which I think is pretty impressive. I don't know how we've managed to avoid it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, we've talked about it in passing a few times. So this time we're going to talk about it not in passing, in full, <laughs> I guess is what you'd call that. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the ways that Christians use different themes and pieces of the Bible to think about money and wealth. And, you know, like Matt said, we've made some nods toward Jubilee in general, but we thought it's worth talking about explicitly. And also, I just talked with uh, the good folks at G's on Tuesday about it. So we thought, you know, let's recycle some of that material, make it a little longer, expand it out, say all the things I wish I would have said instead, and uh, we'll be able to explore this theme together a bit. Uh, By the way, if you haven't gotten that issue of G's, the most recent issue is all about Jubilee, and it is so good. Uh, Lots of cool stuff. Matt and I both have pieces in there alongside lots of other uh, fantastic articles and some cool artwork. So check that out. It's like I think it's actually one of the coolest explorations of Jubilee that I've ever seen. Just lots of different angles, you know, different artistic interpretations, etc. Anyway, uh, Jubilee, it's a word we're using a bunch already. Uh, Maybe you have no idea what it is. (laughs) It is uh, one of those biblical ideas that's really exciting to Christians on the left, but it is actually kind of complicated, maybe more complicated than it seems on its face. So we're going to talk about the Jubilee in the context of leftist politics Uh, Think a little bit about how it appears in the Bible and more generally and try to figure out what it has to do with us today. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay, so maybe you don't know what the word Jubilee even means, and that's fine. Um, Basically, within the like, (laughs) I don't know, weird bubble of Christianity, it's referring to a particular sort of economic system that was set up in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's sort of like ancient, I don't know, Jewish world. It's a it's a practice that expands outside the Jewish world as well. There's uh, there's evidence of all kinds of other um, cultures kind of having jubilee moments and we'll, uh, or jubilee sort of like rules built in their economy. We'll talk about that later. But um, let's talk about it in in the in the big sense, I guess. <laughs> jubilee has been, I think, a really motivating idea for people on the left uh, within Christianity uh, because it promises a type of economy where our debt our poverty and our particular place within the stratification of a class society is not permanent. And that's cool. If you are uh, down your luck, you sell your family's land or whatever in a Jubilee year, you'll get it all back. And isn't that exciting? But then of course, after that, you're going to be uh, racing, (laughs) racing to the top again in the big rat race that is the economy. Um, So not, not a perfect idea, not a perfect economic idea. It's not, uh, it's not socialism. It's not like communism. But it is like a pretty cool idea that suggests that like private property is not like immutable, that there are um, that that God, in fact, has made laws that say like you have to give it up at some point, give it back to people and, and let slaves go free and all these kinds of other things that go along with it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, actually, uh, just before we get too far ahead of ourselves, maybe we should break down what the Jubilee is real quick. Or do you want to do that in a moment? I was just it just occurred to me. We're like talking about it already. Yeah, no. <laughs> but Yeah, that's where okay. I was going right now. So perfect. Um, I think, like I said, uh, Jubilee is like a sort of economic practice of the ancient world that happened in a a bunch of different societies, a bunch of different cultures. 
but uh, you know, in the context of Christianity, um, because the Old Testament, like you know, comes from the Jewish tradition, like that's kind of the reference point for us and for this conversation. So I'll just read. I'll read to you right now <laughs> these good these good old dusty books that uh, tell you all about the Jubilee. So this is from Leviticus twenty five eight through thirteen. That's right, folks. We're reading the Bible on this podcast. <laughs> You shall count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, and there shall be to you the day of seven Sabbaths of years, even 49 years. Okay, this is a lot of words here, but this is what it means. A jubilee happens every 49 years. Um, Does it happen on the 50th year? Does it happen on the 49th year? No one's quite sure. It's a mystery. But um, It's the 50th year. You should make the 50th year holy. Yeah, well, uh, uh, there are biblical scholars who dispute this and make it more complicated, (laughs) but I'm, I'm with you. Um, anyways, uh, back to Leviticus <laughs> after this great digression, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement, and you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. You shall make the 50th year holy and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee to you and each of you shall return to his own property and each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you in it. You shall neither sow nor reap. That which grows for itself, nor gather from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat of its increase out of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. Um, okay, some some old ways of talking in this one. The, the syntax is kind of challenging, um, but there you go. That's it. So every 50 years or 49, again, it's complicated. Uh, people <laughs> People are studying this out here, folks, and it's complicated. Um, but anyways, every so many years, <laughs> you uh, you return property back to the people who it uh, belonged originally. You go back to your house. You don't um, you don't uh, harvest from the fields. You just kind of like you know eat other food, um, and that's interesting. Um, it's a it's a big economic reset, I guess is is the big idea. Um, let me let me get into a, a different place where it comes up to you, where it's um, a little more interesting to me for some reason. The way uh, in Deuteronomy, a, another book of the Bible that we do love, um, <laughs> a problematic fave, maybe <laughs> to be sure. Um, uh, it, Jubilee is framed like this: At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commandments I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend to many nations will borrow from from none you will rule over many nations but none will rule over you okay so here are two instances in the uh in the old testament in these sort of like law establishing books where we're getting some information about the jubilee year and what it does so it's a it's a big reset everyone gets their land back everyone um gets their debts canceled the slaves go free the lands rest um it's all good i don't know it's um there's a lot of interesting ideas in there, but I mean, and we'll talk about them more specifically in a minute about like the historical relevance of some of these things. And like, it's not just like Jubilee isn't just like, because I don't know, 
this particular Jewish society was like really cool and just like wanted people to like have a good reset or something. There's a lot of different reasons going on, like going on kind of behind the scenes, like why these um, these moments are really important. But just the same, I think like on the face value of these, you can see why they would be pretty appealing to people who are interested in progressive politics, um, especially in 2022. Um, everyone's got all this bad debt. It's awful. Um, and what if there was a moment when we just kind of reset it all? What if we said no more? What if we let the prisoners go free? What if, uh, you know, all these kinds of things, all, like what, what if there's a big economic leveling? Wouldn't that be nice? And yeah, it would be. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but there's a lot more yeah. going on here anyways. Um, so let's dig into it a bit, Dean. Um, tell us about the history. Tell us about all of the context. Lay it all out here for us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so... I think there's a lot to say about Jubilee. We'll deal with a lot of the context in a minute. Um, I think, too, if you read between the lines, I mean, I guess if you read the actual lines, but <laughs> of of those texts as well, you'll find that there the Jubilee is complicated, too, because there's a lot of freedom and there's also a lot of people who don't get freedom or like there's a lot of uh, resets, but also a lot, a lot of things that don't get kind of fundamentally changed. And we'll dig into all those weird nuances in a second. But I think the biggest thing to think about for me, at least with the Jubilee, is that when I when I was like a young evangelical Christian anarchist type, uh, I remember coming across this this uh, these passages when you're like a very weird teen trying to read the Bible on your own from cover to cover and uh, being like, wow, this is so interesting. What a cool thing that like the Bible, a special book has come up with this genius plan for economics. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but like, I took this to my pastor and I said, pastor, what a fascinating situation, like this Jubilee year, how come we don't do that today? And he had a big, long explanation about how, oh, the Jubilee, yes, what a very cool idea, but all too, um, idealistic, right? Like something that never really ever happened because humans are too bad and fallen and sinful to have ever done it. And um, just one of those tragic moments where if we really did live the way God wanted us to, maybe we do this, but we don't. So, like, we won't. I don't know. Did you ever hear that kind of response yeah, totally. in the church? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're wrong because it's that's not true. But <laughs> but yes, I've heard it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I heard that from my pastor. And I, I guess I just kind of thought that for a long time, that the Jubilee was this, um, you know, like utopian ideal something that you should strive toward maybe something we'll get in the eschaton or something like that but like too good to be true um well i've learned that that is not the case and uh, uh over the years i've learned that and most recently i was reading a really interesting book that a lot of people recommended to me by michael hudson who's uh, an economist who ended up just getting very interested in uh, ancient near eastern stuff and the history of debt the book's called And Forgive Them, Their Debts, Lending, Foreclosure, and Redemption from Bronze Age Finance to the Jubilee Year. A uh, really fascinating book because it is written from the perspective of an economist, and he has this really nice line in the beginning. He says, Today the idea of annulling debts seems so unthinkable that not only economists, but also many theologians doubt whether the Jubilee Year could have been applied regularly in practice. The widespread impression is that this Mosaic Law was a product of utopian idealism, but Assyriologists have traced it to a long tradition of royal debt cancellations from Sumer in the 3rd millennium BC and Babylonia down through 1st millennium Assyria. So uh, that was very fascinating to me, um, and, and it has appeared in other places before Hudson in general, this kind of insight, or at least before this book. 
Um, but interesting to learn two things. First of all, that the Jubilee was actually practiced. And secondly, that it was also not unique to Israel in particular, that it was a sort of routine piece of a lot of economic strategies in the ancient world. And uh, yeah, what a fascinating thing to learn. It is a very fascinating thing to learn. Um, you can tell your <laughs> you can tell your evangelical pastor that they can shove it. <laughs> it's not just like a pie in the sky idea. It's a real thing. And that's good. Um, I think, though, OK, so Jubilee as like a historical like fact, it's interesting, um, you know, and, and like, like I said, there's like there are reasons for Jubilee. It's not just because it's like a morally good idea or something, though it is. But, you know, it's a it's a way for uh, monarchies to consolidate power against oligarchic classes or whatever. You know, it's it, the, the reset has political motivations, too, that are. Um, there to to um, uphold a particular type of like class society. So it's not like, you know, it's not like Jubilee is even like completely utopian, I guess is what I'm trying to say that there's uh, mm-hmm. there are sort of political economic reasons behind like why it happens. But like, that's cool. That's great. No big deal. <laughs> there's a historical moment. Yeah. And that's very interesting, I think. But I think the themes of Jubilee are things that come up again and again throughout um, th- throughout the Bible, throughout um throughout sort of like the interpretation and reinterpretation of these like laws and the prophets and they happen in, in the new Testament as well. And I, I think that's, I guess maybe what's very interesting to me about Jubilee is that it sort of has this like economic reality and, and historical sort of factuality, but you see these like Jubilee ideas come up again and again throughout the Bible, whether it is in the prophets um, or if it's in, in the gospels or if it's in the new Testament elsewhere, you get a lot of jubilee throughout the Bible, right? This moment where there is like a leveling or there's a redemption or the the debts that you had to pay, now you don't anymore or, or something, right? This like sort of theme. It's something that comes up again and again in the Bible all, all the time. Um, and I think that's kind of the cool part of jubilee or maybe like that's maybe that's like the that's like the radical impulse kind of at the base of the historic the, the historical example. Um Let's see. I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to go with this, but um, one I was reading in prep for this uh, this episode is from Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who's the the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, um, which is a cool thing that I've talked about before. She emphasizes um, Deuteronomy 15.4, where it says, However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow these commandments I'm giving you today. Right. So the point here is that uh, it's not like the specific rules of Jubilee, like the seventh year and the seventh, whatever, you know, like it's not it's not all of that. That's necessarily important. But that like um, there's like this impulse that, that sort of like God is pushing people toward in in these stories um, and in, you know, in like scripture that uh, is painting a picture of a particular type of economy where there are no poor people or there does not. Ha- there doesn't have to be poor people if you listen to sort of God in, in the Bible. And I think that is the the cool part of it, right? Because it gives you permission to think about Jubilee in terms that are bigger than just like a historical practice or an economic practice. Um, you know, something that is um, a really cool idea and but but not like sort of shattering the mold of economics or something all in all. Um, so I think that's that to me is what seems cool about Jubilee is that it's not just like a thing that happened, but there's like a sort of. Um, spiritual and also political um, idea that's kind of bound up in Jubilee that you see worked out throughout, you know, the history of Christianity. Um, and it, that it's just is bigger than just uh, the thing that happened. Yeah, for sure. And the history of Judaism too, right? I always uh, want to emphasize like um, 
I think there's sometimes a temptation to read the Jubilee theme as like, so it gathers sort of momentum in the Bible. And in a second, maybe I'll talk to you about some more of like what's going on outside of uh, Israel with the Jubilee to kind of create a little contrast. But like um, it does kind of have this, it takes on a unique flair and it, and it, does, it does accrue these sort of utopic um, uh, expansions as, as the Jubilee gets filtered through the prophets and so on. And there can be a temptation sometimes to like, see Jesus's participation in the Jubilee, which again, we can talk about more, but to see that as like the fulfillment or the capping of, you know, (laughs) all the stuff that the Jews were doing. And you get this really bad, like supersessionist kind of story. Totally. And I think it's important to resist that too, to see that there is something actually very interesting and unique to Judaism and how it filters this tradition that it's kind of metabolizing from its neighbors and so on. And um, Jesus is a participant in that tradition rather than like, I don't know. The culmination of it. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. If that may, that's a good way of putting it, right? Um, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, actually, Dean, talk about that maybe. Maybe talk about the, the historic like specifications of it more uh, particularly then. Yeah, okay. So I think I found it really helpful to think through, first of all, like how the Jubilee appears outside of Israel just to get an idea of where it is. Because like you said, Matt, like it's not, it has these kind of political motivations. And when you understand that, it's actually easier to, to understand why the Jubilee year is not at first really a a kind of utopic moment, but is actually extremely practical. Um, So it's like, it kind of takes some of the weirdness or surprise out of it and, you know, roots it in maybe a more materialist story for lack of a better (laughs) adjective um so rulers really stood to gain a lot from debt cancellation which might sound weird but you have to understand that this is a pre-capitalist political economy right like the rulers and the wealthy people are not necessarily one and the same or rather like the rulers and the kind of merchant class or moneyed class or the wealthy people who are not nobility like those are not necessarily the same class which is hard to get our minds around now because those people, you know, there's still some distinctions today, but like not, it's, it's very easy to find the connections, <laughs> obviously. Um, the capitalists are the ruling class today, which was not the case in the ancient Near East or in Israel. So uh, what would a ruler, why would a ruler cancel the debts? There are lots of interesting reasons. So you mentioned one, Matt, like preventing uh, wealthy creditors from getting too powerful for sure. Um, it also prevents land from getting like bought up and monopolized. So, you know, you can take over, a country with like whatever catapults, but you can also buy it out from under them. So canceling all the debts and returning all the lands is one way to make sure that that doesn't happen to you. Those are the two big strategies in Civ six right there. You can buy buy up all the tiles or you can get catapults. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, So if you don't want to, you know, boost your warmonger uh, (laughs) rating, you can just buy everything up. Uh, it can also build confidence and security among the masses, right? If you're a ruler and you're nervous that people are getting too rabbly, you can cancel all the debts and everybody's excited again. And uh, also, ancient cities with too much debt are very easy for neighboring countries to conquer for two reasons. One, because kind of the inverse of what I just said, people don't really want to go to war for you if they're like, <laughs> you know, for what? Like, just so that we stay under the debt and we know that probably the new ruling power will like forgive them anyway. Um, and because people also don't have the financial means to like wage a war, right. If they're all kind of, uh, snowed under. So lots of like very, again, practical economic reasons why a Jubilee year makes sense in that political economy. Um, and again, just to borrow a quote from Michael Hudson, he says, uh, the ethic was not egalitarian as such. It merely aimed to provide citizens with the basic minimum of standard needed to be self-sustaining 
Wealth accumulation was permitted and even applauded as long as it does not, did not disrupt the normal functioning of society at large. So it's just a means of, I guess, explaining that we can understand the Jubilee year in a sort of like boring and less exciting way, which is very important because if you want to get to like where it gets exciting in the Bible, you have to like lay some of that groundwork of, you know, again, what are those sort of practical concerns that are being addressed in the ancient Near East first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's it's such an interesting thing, though, to to see it through that lens, because I don't know. I mean, just like you, I grew up in in churches where it's like, well, Jubilee, it's so nice. Um, but, you know, either uh, either it's too utopic of a political idea and like that's what it would be like in the eschaton or it's like, you know, you can uh, you can uh, read it in an over-spiritualized way where it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a very supersessionist kind of way where Jesus it's like, a you know, it's laying the groundwork for Jesus or something like that. But um, to hear the, the political background is pretty fascinating. Yeah. So also, like you said, um, there is something unique, though, that happens in the course of the Bible. So I think in like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you do see basically the the encoding of this custom into law, which, again, is not unique, like like the Hammurabi dynasty in Babylon. They had encoded it into law as well. So like that part's not unique. But you get these. um I guess qualities or I like to refer to them as like dreams, like Jubilee kind of hopes or aspirations that start to emerge in those legal texts. And then they like really take off throughout the rest of the Bible in these interesting ways. And they uh, they gather a lot of momentum. So the three that I always pull out are that um, in the Jubilee year, slaves get freed, uh, the land gets to rest and debts get canceled. And the thing about all those aspirations is like they're all present in those legal moments, but they are actually all present in extremely qualified and limited ways. So like slaves go free unless (laughs) it's always like a little bit of an asterisk. Right. So, for example, like uh, uh, the slaves who are like among the people, like the actual Israelites, they all have to have an opportunity to be to be freed. But like that doesn't apply to foreigners necessarily. And like if you're a slave and you're like, actually, I don't mind it. It's pretty good. Um, I have like a good owner or whatever. Then they drive an all through your ear and then you're a slave forever, which sounds to me like a bad deal, no matter who your master might be. Um, so for instance, you know, those little things peek through or like, uh, debts being canceled. Like again, debts are canceled inside the community. But even as you were just reading that Deuteronomy passage, Matt, like Mm -hmm. they don't forgive the debts of foreigners. And in fact, the aspiration is, you'll become the lending country. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you will be the creditor, the ultimate creditor, and you won't owe any debt to anybody else. So it's it's like these are full of contradictions. And I think sometimes as progressive Christians in particular or progressive, I don't know, people of faith, I guess, uh, it's easy to idealize the Jubilee year and like blaze past all that stuff. But it's important actually to realize that there are those initial limitations baked into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. There are there are limitations baked into it, I guess that's um, it's good. I mean, it would be, (laughs) it would be dishonest to say otherwise. Um, But what is interesting though, is the way that that like particular imagination around Jubilee, like ramps up throughout the Mm -hmm. Bible. And like, I don't know, like the prophets end up kind of like double downing on on a lot of this, right? Like, in in Isaiah, you get stuff about, you know, the every, every yoke is broken, (laughs) you know, it's like, um, Mm -hmm. it, it becomes it becomes like a, a bigger than a bigger than jubilee idea um 
where it's like this sort of like it, it takes on sort of eschatological meaning that uh, this is sort of like um, what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe that's where it's actually helpful to start talking about where the biblical jubilee does start to take on some unique character or, you know, departs from the neighbors of uh, Israel in some really important ways. So, like, I was just saying, you know, what what are the practical reasons that you would have a jubilee? There are all these reasons that, like, a king would have them. Um, but what's so fascinating about the Bible is, like, the Bible is extremely suspicious of kings in general. Um it does not like them. <laughs> Most of them are very bad. Uh, everyone is complaining about them all the time. In fact, uh, uh, even in in First Samuel, this is the this is the Christian anarchist trivia that like yeah. I still have within me. Uh, in First Samuel, though, the Israelites they're they're asking God. They're saying, "Give give us a king. We need a king." <laughs> and then God's like, "You don't want that, but okay." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, And I mean, I remember reading that passage again, probably in the same phase of (laughs) being a weird Christian, uh, talking to my pastor about the Jubilee year, right? And being like, whoa, kings are bad. (laughs) The ruling authority is bad. Um, So that is all present for sure, right? So the big question is like, okay, if the Jubilee year depends on the kings in the ancient Near East and like kings are bad in the biblical narrative, then kind of where does the Jubilee fit in? And I think that is what is super interesting. So, like, debt becomes a very big problem in the Bible. When you read the prophets, um, Israel is constantly getting judged for favoring the wealthy and abusing the poor, and debt and credits are are part of all of that. So what's fascinating is, like, you can't really rely on good kings to do debtors a favor, like God tells the Israelites that right away. Uh, Instead, what happens is the prophets become kind of like a a counter authority to the kingly authority. They're actually like, I mean, the prophets are honestly kind of a conservative force, right? Like it's the, the Kings who are departing from what God wants. Right. And conservative the in the sense to, that they're like there to, to reinforce like the, the particular law that God has like given them. Right. Like it's, it's conservative yeah. in the way that you wouldn't, it's conservative in the way that the word actually means conservative, not in the, yeah. uh, the U S <laughs> the weird U S politics way of understanding it. Exactly, exactly. Or or I guess you could say in that weird way that people do, like they're radical in the etymological sense of like radical comes from radix, which means like going to the root of something. I kind of hate that phrase, but it's true. The prophets, I don't know. They're radical in that way. They are going to the root of what they think God actually wants for Israel and constantly saying, you know, the kings have betrayed that. So the Jubilee gets safeguarded by the prophets and then it gets not just conserved in kind of a passive way, but uh, as you were saying, Matt, it, it like it takes on all these other qualities, like it snowballs into something bigger than what we find in the legal text. So it becomes uh, a dream of not just, um, you know, like, I don't know, you like some of the slaves go free, but some of them don't. It's like all the prisoners now are going free. Right. Uh, all kinds of stuff is kind of getting added to it. And Jubilee, you know, there are lots of like hermeneutical keys to the Bible, or I guess by that I mean, like, there are these kind of themes that once you discover them, you start to see them everywhere in the Bible, and you kind of read the Bible through them, and Jubilee is one of those, right? Like, once you know to look for it, you start seeing it everywhere, and you can really understand the whole text, including the the Christian texts, um, as sort of participating in that Jubilee story. Yeah, definitely. You see it all over the place. Um, and, and the gospel gets taken up in some, like, really wild ways because <laughs> it's a pretty big departure because of, uh, I mean, because of Jesus and a lot of different other things, too. But anyways, it is a cool thing that you see throughout the Bible, and it does ramp up. I guess the before we move on, like, past 
Jubilee in in like the like Deuteronomy and Leviticus texts. Um, the thing that always like does stick out to me though in those things is you know that that part I read a little bit earlier um, where God's like if you do these things like there won't be poor people, um, mm-hmm. which I think is actually really wild to think about. Um, you, you know, like whatever we've we've said we've we've uh, we've clarified that Jubilee has some like contradictions and is limited on on the, on the one hand, but on the other hand, um, it is interesting too because there is a real. I don't know. I, I want to stress that there is like a real sort of like radical impulse within that where like mm-hmm. God is giving a law so that literally poverty doesn't have to exist in your community. And I think that is pretty radical. Like, yeah, um, I don't know. It's a good case. Uh, if someone does, like, I guess it's a good case uh, to start building that like God doesn't want anyone to be poor. God doesn't cause poverty. Um, you know, capitalism does that in a pretty easy way. So mm-hmm. I, I guess um I want to, on the one hand, say Jubilee in its actual context is full of contradictions and full of limitations. Yes, that is true. But also it is like there's a radical impulse within it that gets ramped up. And I think that's the coolest thing. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so that's also maybe a good time to move to talking about Jesus's participation in the Jubilee, because, again, I don't want to pretend that Jesus is like the culmination of the Jubilee tradition, but rather what I would want to say is just like Isaiah is kind of adding to the tradition and participating in it and really like performing it in this interesting way. um, Jesus is in that lineage, right? That kind of prophetic tradition as well. And again, like when you see Jubilee, you start seeing it everywhere. There are so many echoes of different Jubilee passages that kind of come through the gospels. Um, I'll just mention one of them uh, right now, but there's a bunch. Uh, So in Luke 4, um, this is where Jesus is like announcing his ministry. Uh, He goes to the synagogue, he opens up a scroll of Isaiah, and he reads a Jubilee kind of uh, passage. So he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that is so interesting because it's Jesus being like, here's what the Jubilee says, the year of the Lord's favor, and like, I'm here to tell you it's happening right now. (laughs) Like, the, the forgiveness of debts, you know, slaves going free, all this kind of stuff, like, I'm here to do it. And that's the kind of the messianic mission that Jesus is on. And uh, it's again, it's just sort of one of those echoes that you're going to see of the Jubilee in the Gospels. Yeah, that's a great point to bring up in Matthew 25 when um, uh, Jesus is anointed with oil by the woman. I, I mean, um, I don't even remember what, which woman it is, but it is, it's a woman for sure. <laughs> she has some great stinky perfume and she's going to put it on Jesus. And all the disciples are like, well, shouldn't you sell that instead? And Jesus is like, no, sorry, just give me this perfume. <laughs> Anyways, that's a, that's also associated with Jubilee too. Uh, it's a, because it's like the, the anointing of the Messiah. So I guess that, that's maybe, maybe that is like the, um, where we can start kind of like connecting the dots here, right? So like you have Jubilee in, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it's like this like sort of economic situation that is um, interesting for all the reasons, reasons we've already said. And it comes up again in, in the prophets too. And there's like the sort of like messianism that develops with it in the prophets as well. And then like the, the next mutation is with Jesus. There's like, you know, another sort of like theme and variation of the messianic um, qualities of Jubilee as well. Uh, it's different. Um, and again, I, I don't want to like overwrite the like particulars of like the, um, of like the, 
like the, the Jewish tradition of Jubilee or whatever with Jesus. But like that's like what's happening in the New Testament, at least. It's like kind of riffing off of those same themes. Um, OK, well, maybe to maybe to connect all the dots, I'm going to read this piece from David Graeber um, from his book on debt. He has a lot to say about Jubilee. He has a lot to say about debt. Um, the thing about David Graeber in this book about debt is it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see. I've read it. I'm not an economist or an anthropologist, so maybe there are critiques that people have and it's great have a critique. But anyways, this book is largely focusing on like, or at least the section of this book that I'm going to read this from is kind of focusing on like the anthropological development of like the idea of a moral debt that, uh, you know, you always owe something to somebody else either because of like, you know, the sins that you're inheriting or, you know, the things that you've actually done or whatever. Anyways, so that's kind of the, the debt that, that David Graeber was talking about, which is deeply interconnected with economic debt as well. But there's just a lot going on. Anyways, I'm going to read this and you kind of you'll see you'll, you'll see how we're connecting the dots here and maybe why it's important. Um, David Graeber writes this freedom in the Bible, as in Mesopotamia, came to refer above all to release from the effects of debt. Over time, the history of the Jewish people itself came to be interpreted in this light. The liberation from bondage in Egypt was God's first paradigmatic act of redemption the historical tribulations of the Jews, defeat, conquest, exile, were seen as misfortunes that would eventually lead to the final redemption with the coming of the Messiah. Though this could only be accomplished, um, prophets such as Jeremiah warned them after the Jewish people truly repented of their sins. Um, anyways, so that that's like, um, those are the first two pieces, you know, that we've talked about. And then uh, he goes on to say this, in this light, the adoption of the term by Christians is hardly surprising. Redemption was a release from one's burden of sin and guilt, and the end of history would be the moment when all slates are wiped clean and all debts are finally lifted with a great blast. From angelic trumpets will announce the final jubilee. If so, redemption is no longer about buying something back. It's really more of a matter of destroying the entire system of accounting. So, um, like, like, you know, jubilee is complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of, like, ways that these themes are getting worked out again and again. And, you know, by different people groups, by different um, religious groups, by um, with, with with vastly different meanings, with vastly different contexts. But you can see how they all are kind of like stacking on top of each other. And, and each kind of gets more intense as they go, where it starts off as like a, an economic reset. And then it kind of gains this um, this, uh, you know, this idea where like things will be better in the future. And then by the time, you know, we get this like riff off of it with Jesus, where like redemption and um, the the ratio of debts is not about like resetting economics, but it's about like destroying the whole system of like accounting for one's like moral failings and sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is something that's also really interesting. Just seeing how all those concepts, like you said, are interconnected, the moral piece, the economic piece. I think this is maybe a bit of an aside, but like um, <laughs> it's interesting to how these things take on a life of their own. Like Pope Francis has talked a lot about uh, criticizing international debt and calling for the forgiveness of that debt or the uh, abolition, I prefer to say, rather than forgiveness of that debt. Um, But uh, he has said in place of that, the global north has to recognize that it owes an ecological debt to the global south that like it has to sort of pay or, you know, whatever. And so all that to say, very interesting to see how these things sort of (laughs) like slowly detach from... uh, their original usage, but kind of retain some of the utility. I don't know if that's the best language to use, but I get what the Pope means and I think it's good. Yeah. You know, I think there's something to that though, like in, uh, this is my own observation and you know, whatever it's backed up by my, <laughs> it's backed up by the school <laughs> of life that I've been 
I've been taking classes in, but like, uh, you know, in, in the original iterations of Jubilee and Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, right. There's this like scent. There's, um, there's always this bit that like the, the land lays fallow, the land, not fallow, the land rests, right. That's the idea. You're not, uh, you're not Mm -hmm. farming during those times. So it's like, it's a Jubilee for people where like, you know, there's an economic reset, but it's also a moment where you're like going to stop, you know, for a hot second, Uh, like you're going to stop exploiting the land. And that's maybe something that, like, doesn't get carried over in progressive Christian ways of talking. Or maybe sometimes it does, but it's – I feel like the – listen, getting our debts, get, like, erased is so exciting that I think we forget about the rest of it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We're so psyched about it. We're so psyched about not having to pay Navient, our student loans, that we forget that maybe there's another part of it too. Um, but anyways, that that piece, I guess, has been sticking in my brain today. I've been reading Cry of the Earth, Cry of the Poor uh, by Leonardo Boff, which is a book about uh, like eco-socialism and liberation theology. And uh, there is a part of it that I think is really fascinating where he's um, he's drawing this connection between liberation theology and like ecology and like trying to say that these two these two things are not separate. Like they're they're connected. Right. Um, so he says that, uh, the, you know, the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor, they both seek liberation, a liberation of the poor by themselves as an active subjects who are organized, conscious and networked to other allies who take on their cause and their struggle and a liberation of the earth through a new covenant between it and human beings in a brotherly and sisterly relationship and with a kind of sustainable development that respects the de- the different ecosystems and assures a good quality of life for future generations. So I guess I, I just read that out because like um, the, uh, you know, the, the cool parts of Jubilee that we get excited about the, uh, the erasure of debt, you know, the, uh, the liberation of captives, that kind of thing. That's super exciting. But I guess the, um, the, the liberation of, uh, of ecology from capitalism is also another big piece of it that we have to kind of pay attention to. I, I wouldn't want to forget that one. So yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, it's also a good explanation or a good uh, example of how the Jubilee uh, theme really opens up into lots of other themes like debt is one of them for sure. But uh, also contained in that is the ecological relationship that we have and also is like the abolition of, of prisons or the freedom of prisoners and so on. Right. Like um, the fascinating thing about Jubilee, I think we often reduce it to debt. Yeah, because that's a big thing in our societies right now, especially. Um, but it does have this even bigger kind of dream associated with it or, or power behind it. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, it's, you know, um, the, the move to thinking of Jubilee as a type of redemption that kind of breaks down the whole system of accounting. I don't know, man. I feel like it's hard to talk about that without just talking about liberation, without talking about, you mm-hmm. know, an end to capitalism in general. Um, those seem like uh, inseparable ideas to me. Yeah, well, in fact, um, all right, you pulled out the Boff book. I'm going to go to uh, our favorite devotional text on the show, which is the Gospel in Salantaname, uh, which I've taken to reading on the weekends now. Um, it, it is actually genuinely good devotional text. <laughs> and uh, I decided when we decided to do a Jubilee episode to look up, hang on, I'm, I'm, you'll get some good page flipping ASMR here. <laughs> Uh, to look up the uh, passage where they talk about Jesus's um, ministry, the Luke 4 passage, and they connect that to exactly what you're saying here, Matt. So, um, you know, they they don't actually talk about the Jubilee piece, but instead they read this all against the backdrop of um, liberation or the good news, like what is the good news and stuff like that. They talk about the freedom of all prisoners, for example, all that kind of thing. Uh, but there's a really interesting moment. So Cardinal says... 
I explained that the year of grace that Isaiah speaks of, and that was also called the holy year, was a year of general emancipation of people and goods, which Yahweh had ordered to take place in Israel every, every seven years. Bought slaves should then be freed, all debts should be abolished, and lands that had been sold should be returned to their original owners. The aim of this measure was to guarantee equality and freedom to prevent the monopolizing of the lands. The law later decreed that the, that the year of grace should be every 50 years, the Jubilee, and it was really a law that was not carried out. The prophecy of Isaiah was that the Messiah was going to announce a Lord's year of grace that would be definitive. So then this guy William says, and the Holy or Jubilee year now means that people go to Rome to pray in the churches and receive a papal blessing. But the Holy year should be agrarian reform and the socialization of all means of production. And then another person says a Holy year is what's been done in Cuba. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, again, just a, a good example of how that Jubilee theme opens up in so many interesting ways to that truly revolutionary moment. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I think that first of all, that's great. That's such a a, a quintessential um, gospel and soul Taname moment. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Mary's a communist. Uh, Jubilee is Cuba. That's like <laughs> that's such uh, on par for that book, and it rules. But I mean, like that's a good impulse to follow, though, right? To actually ask the question, like, what would Jubilee mean for us right now? Like, does it mean our student loan? Like, does it mean Joe Biden like signing away our student loans, or does it mean like uh, the abolition of <laughs> of loans altogether, right, or whatever? Um, there are good questions to start asking, though, or, or where we see Jubilee in the world. Um, yeah, I think those are are uh, lines of inquiry we should be uh, considering all the time. Yeah. Well, let's turn to that in just a minute. I thought one one kind of um, T that we could cross before we go. We've done a lot of eyes, but I just see a couple T's of that crosses. Um, <laughs> one thing that we could do uh, and that I think worked really well in the G's talk on Tuesday was also that question of like what happened to the Jubilee year. So I mentioned, you know, it's happening all over in the ancient world, um, but like. I don't know why didn't it happen after Jesus came, right? Like that's a pretty good legitimate question. Um, and surprisingly or unsurprisingly, there actually are some good historical answers to it. So a lot of this also is is in that Michael Hudson book I mentioned. Um, but uh, the story that I've heard there and elsewhere is really fascinating. So the Jubilee year, as I said, is this pre-capitalist kind of moment, right? Um, but if you are like, a wealthy creditor and you want to keep the debts that you have and make money, you have to make sure that the Jubilee can't happen, right? Like that is an obstacle to you growing your wealth. So you need to find a way to abolish it. So there's a bunch of ways that that actually did happen historically. So the Jubilee, you know, in the Jubilee, you have these ancient rulers siding with debtors instead of creditors, which is like unimaginable right now, <laughs> but like at one time was a popular thing. So creditors want to reverse that, right? They want uh, to instantiate their side of that relationship forever in an irreversible way. So their private property can never be taken from them. So creditors eventually do win that through legal maneuvering, right? They pass laws and have legal influence through uh, buying up small land holdings. So eventually, you know, they kind of outrun the Jubilee returning of lands and they do monopolize anyway. And by violently repressing different debtor movements, including they like assassinate or kill kings in wars who are like tied to to canceling debts, which is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, just like how we talk about the the history of like enclosures and capitalism is like a bloody process that requires, you know, literally killing your resistance. The same thing is true of debt that like 
debt only ever becomes permanent permanent through like real material struggle down to actual blood being spilled over creditors being able to you know not allow a jubilee to occur and finally the kind of nail in the coffin is that the roman empire sides with the creditors in all these legal ways and they encode uh, the creditors right to private property into their laws and as you you know everybody knows the story right christianity inherits the roman empire um, that means it inherits all these weird things. And the tragedy of that is that the the Jubilee sort of moment that Jesus announces actually takes a backseat to uh, the the Roman kind of subversion of that. So in this weird way, I don't know, Rome actually wins over Jesus on that score in a really sad kind of situation. So that's what happens to Jubilees, unfortunately. Big bummer. You know, if I was the Pope and I had just inherited uh, the Roman Empire, what I would have done is not that. I would have not done that. I would have just done the Jubilee it's and, a great and idea. kept it going, you know? I love that idea. They should have done that. Why didn't they <laughs> listen to us? Yeah. When we get in our big Bill and Ted time machine, we'll go back and tell Constantine, don't do this. Yeah, that's right. I would say I'd uh, tell him when we get to heaven, but might not be there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Um, okay, so that's the T we had to cross. Let's return, though, to, you know, what would it mean to actually think of the Jubilee now since it's been erased from our contemporary experience, pretty much? Um, I don't know. I think there's lots of ways to talk about Jubilee. Like, Matt, you mentioned student loan forgiveness. That's one. Medical debt is huge, right? Like, all these kind of debts that we struggle with. Um, for sure, Jubilee is the theme there. Uh, I always think about it in terms of like global debt regimes, which we've talked about global debt on this show in the past, I don't know, probably in the last six months or so. So you could listen to that if you want to learn more. But global debt is a huge problem for people in the global south, especially. And there are a lot of bad things about it. One of the worst things is that like, uh, like on the grand scheme of things, the global debt is not that much money in terms of a percentage of like global finance. Um, like you could wipe away all the debt of poor countries and like the, the world market would like have a moment, but it would be fine. Like it would stabilize. It wouldn't be a big deal. Um, but it would mean literally like the life and death for actual human beings in the global South. Um, if that debt was abolished and that is where my mind always goes to, I think, especially because in the year 2000, there was actually a huge campaign all around the world called the Great Jubilee. And in fact, Pope John Paul II endorsed it and like called on people to to do it, which is pretty amazing. And it was a huge mobilization push at the turn of the millennium to uh, uh, to get debt uh, canceled for struggling countries. And they had some relative success. A lot of debt actually did get drawn down as a result of the campaign. Um, but as you could guess, it did not get abolished. What a big surprise. And uh, in fact, now during the pandemic, the debt of poor countries is at record levels. So uh, that's how I always think of Jubilee. Like there was a moment, you know, in my lifetime when like Christians all around the world kind of got excited about this theme and they made a huge push and they made some gains, but like not enough. And like, I don't know, what if we did that again, but bigger and better? That's <laughs> that's my utopic dream for Jubilee now. Yeah, totally. I've been I keep thinking about like. I don't know, other places we might see it or what what else that might mean. And it is such a, I think it's such a wild imaginative force when you really start getting into it. Like, what would it really mean to like kind of set things right or to, I don't know, to erase, erase debts or, or even like the idea of like, you know, you're the, the, the mutability of private property, like to give it back. Right. Like, I mean, I think of like indigenous movements around land back or, 
Um, or I mean, like, I don't know, even like reparations is, is really in tied in, tied into these ideas. Um, and I think it's such a wild thing to start thinking about because in progressive Christian circles, sometimes like Jubilee gets like, um, like demoted <laughs> into like, mm-hmm. like, well, here's we're having like a free meal today or something, um, mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, those things are nice. Nothing wrong with like a free meal or like feeding people for an afternoon or even like in a regular way. That's totally fine. Like, great. But I guess like the thing about Jubilee is that it is such a big picture thing. It's like explicitly, explicitly talking about something that is like a systemic change to the way that people's lives are and how they are related to land and um, their, their economy and their debt. And I don't know, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think about them in smaller terms. Mm hmm. No, I totally agree. And it's important too to see to be able to connect the Jubilee to other stuff outside the Bible as well in a capitalist society. So I think another temptation we have as Christians on the left in general is to kind of be like, well, the Bible gives us all the themes that we need, all the tools that we need to make everything work. And uh, that is not true. <laughs> the world's very complicated. The Bible points us in directions to find the things that work. Right. That's how I like to think about it. And like the Jubilee is such a great example. Like it, it's uh, like debt is a real problem, a big problem. And it's true. Like as you quoted David Graeber, like it points to this transformative moment and the abolition of all the accounting system, et cetera. But like if you don't tie the Jubilee demands to, for example, liberation of like the working class mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sovereignty over the means of production by workers themselves and so on. Uh, the cancellation of debt is not going to it's going to land you in the same problem that like the Jubilee lands you in in the Bible, which is that like you uh, you get a temporary reset and then you just have to start the rat race over again. And inevitably, you need another Jubilee. Like what you really need is the Jubilee to end all Jubilees or, you know, the way they do it in the Gospel and Salantanama. You need the Jubilee that is Cuba, right? The The ongoing process of the abolition of these conditions of poverty and to see that as like the real dream of the Jubilee to see that kind of actual transformative lasting transformative kind of economic change. I think that's really necessary to be able to connect those dots under capitalism. Yeah. I think that's good, right? The, the Bible, it's great. It gives you, it gives you some good themes, but maybe not all of the sufficient tools for answering, you know, huge questions about global finance. But, uh, (laughs) if you, if you like Deuteronomy says, if you listen to the themes that God is giving to people through the text, then like, listen, there won't be poor people. <laughs> I don't know. Like, follow the theme of Jubilee to its logical conclusion. And like, I don't know, you have no other choice but to fight against poverty in systemic ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe. OK, here's my new thing. We always talk about big themes on this podcast and I love them all. But I think since I've moved into working in a social movement space, too, uh, I'm also always looking for ways to, I guess, connect people up with actual practical things they can do that don't amount to just like go support the working class. <laughs> it's like Probably. too, yeah, too vague of a, a demand. Um, so one thing that is so fascinating about Jubilee and debt is because of that push at the turn of the century, there actually are a lot of organizations that still exist from that time. And I think, I don't know, like they do good work and probably could use the help of lots of people who can continue to, you know, bring a critical lens to that conversation and push it in the directions it needs to go, which is the total abolition of capitalist debt from 
you know, the poor. So a few of those, for instance, one of the best is uh, it's called the Committee for the Abolition of Illegitimate Debt. And for some reason, the acronym is C-A-D-T-M. They're on Twitter that way. Um, There's probably a very good reason for it, but I can't tell you what it is right now. Uh, Anyway, I heard about them because I read this great book called um, uh, Debt, the IMF and the World Bank uh, from the Monthly Review. And one of the authors, Eric Toussaint, is uh, a researcher at the CADTM. And they put out tons and tons of material just analyzing like global debt from a left wing perspective. And it is so good. I've learned so much from them. Uh, Two other organizations. One is the Jubilee USA Network. So they're an organization that came out of the the uh, push in the the late 90s for the Great Jubilee. So they still exist and they're still saying stuff about debt. You can check that out. And uh, the last one is Development and Peace, where I am. Uh, in 2020, a bunch of organizations signed a, a joint letter for canceling that debt in light of the pandemic, including DNP and the Jubilee USA Network was there, too. And the CADTM was there and, you know, a bunch of other ones. So you can... Uh, find all kinds of actual organizations to hook up with, depending on your particular point of entry or persuasion. And I think that is really the key, right? Like, if we ever want to do anything with Jubilee, it has to be like, yes, reading the Bible, I guess, thinking about it for sure, like we're doing. I I think that is genuinely important, but like um, also making sure that that grows legs and like ends up meeting other human beings who can make real actionable demands. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Jubilee is not just like a, a big eschatological idea. It is a real thing you can do right now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it takes that interpretive work, which is actually organizational work, I think. Like, the only way you find out what the Jubilee means, because it doesn't really have a fixed identity, right? It, like, grows all these different meanings and different kind of uh, uh, moments throughout the Bible. Like, the only way you find out what the Jubilee means is by doing it, (laughs) like by organizing for it. And that is the key to figure out what it looks like because, you know, we made a bunch of demands that this is actually what it should look like. This is what Jubilee looks like. That'll be our new cool Christian Occupy slogan. It's a good slogan. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense, right? I mean, um, it's a great idea, but it does take organizing work. It does take, like, actually actually doing it. I don't know. Um, Talk to your pastor about it. But... um, but press them to to help you organize about it or something. I mean, it's a it's a great thing that you're. It, it's like so explicitly Christian. I don't know. It'd be an easy thing, an easy sell for your for a congregation. Yeah, I agree. Get your congregation out there. Do the Rolling Jubilee, right? Forgive all your congregations, local debts, and everything else, and then also try to get them to I don't know, bully your congressperson or something. <laughs> That's something. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. If you support us there, you can get access to uh, a behind-the-paywall podcast we do sometimes on current events and other stuff. Uh, And you can join our Discord community, which is all very interesting and fun. Uh, Matt just started a very funny uh, channel on it, um, all about sharing how cute our pets are. So that's been great. I'm really enjoying that. We got so many pets out Um, there. They're great. These great pets. So many of them, all these comrade cats and dogs, uh, love them. You can find us on the internet all over the place. I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, you know where to find us. That's why you're here. Uh, our music is by Amari Armstrong. Our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside 
There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have.